welcome once again. It is Mr. Stillman's opus, John Stillman, joined today by Jill Johnson, a good friend of mine, a financial advisor in Hartford, Connecticut, the founder of Johnson Brunetti. I wanted to talk to Joel because he has a wealth of experience in the financial industry, both working for big brokerage firms and as an independent advisor. Joel, I'm often trying to explain to people that it's better if your advisor is independent. And the problem is I've always been independent. I've always been in the independent world. So, you know, I don't actually have the experience of having worked for a big brokerage house to be able to compare and contrast my own experiences. However, you've had many very successful years as an independent advisor, but you had many years before that where you were employed by some of the bigger companies. So I'm curious to hear, uh, first of all, what was life like when you're employed by a big company? And then how's it different as an independent advisor? Well, I'll just kind of walk you through the different types of organizations I've uh, worked for. So when I started in the business in 1989, I got hired by a stock brokerage firm. I thought they had picked me and I went through this interview process and you know, was one of the top candidates. Uh, now, when we look back, everybody in this business knows that, you know, they'll hire anybody and see if they can sell. So, yep. but uh, they picked me, they sponsored me for my test. They were uh, an aggressive kind of stock brokerage firm where you were taught to call people, um, make a hundred dials a day, try to open up one account every day and tell people a story about a stock. And we could kind of pick the stock that we wanted to lead with to make people a client. So mine was, you know, Toys R Us back then. This is, you know, 1989. So there's Toys R Us. There was, um, you know, a few other companies like that where you could tell a great story behind the stock, expanding in Japan and so on and so forth. And people would open an account for, for 20 grand. Once they had an account open, then we were encouraged to push the products and the stocks that basically the firm was pushing. And I didn't know this at the time, but it's because they either had it in their trading inventory or because the firm would actually short sometimes stocks that were being recommended to clients thinking that the, there was an oversupply in the shares and they'd be able to buy back on their own trading accounts at a, at a cheaper rate. So there was definitely a pressure at that stock brokerage firm to sell the hot stocks that the firm had been underwriting or making a market in back then. Making a market means when a broker or brokerage firm like Merrill Lynch actually take a, takes a risk on a trade where they'll hold a trade in inventory for a little while to make a market between a bid and an ask spread. We don't know that much these days, and a lot of RIAs don't know that much these days, but there was a big, huge part of the business that was just firm to be willing to risk their own money to buy Coca-Cola from a seller in the morning, knowing that they could unload it at some point in the afternoon, and they'd try to make you know 12 to, well, it was eighths back then, so it was 12 and a half cents a share, but stocks were quoted in eighths. So that's where I worked pressure to sell proprietary, or not proprietary, but certain stocks that the firm had an interest in selling, and they would come on the uh, squawk box at 9 a.m. every morning, and it was actually a little squawk box that looked like a movie, the old-style movie drive-in theater speakers that you'd pull up and put on your window, if anybody remembers those. And the, a guy would come in from New York City. We had 50 offices all over the country from New York City, and a researcher would come on and talk about the stocks that they liked on that particular trading day that they were very favorable about. I didn't hear anything in that description about helping our clients, making our clients' lives better, 
doesn't seem like that really even came into play at all. No, I mean, it was about, you know, cold calling people, telling them a story so they'd buy a stock that would go up and make them money, but also make the firm a commission. And if you made the client enough money, you'd be able to turn that over and over and over again. You know, the other thing that would happen because we were commissioned brokers is we'd buy a stock. Like, for instance, I had, I probably had a million shares of a company called Converse Technology that was brought public at 25 cents a share. Converse Technology became one of the biggest voicemail companies in the country, and that 25 cent share price went to about 100 bucks adjusted for splits. We blew all our clients out at 75 cents a share because they got a triple because we would make more money moving it again. So um, it's hard to be on the same side of the client. You can make money for the client, but in reality, looking back, hey, if it was a great stock, my client should have held that. A client that had 10,000 shares at 25 cents a share would have had a uh, million dollars worth of stock when they finally uh, were trading on the NASDAQ. So what was the impetus for you to move to a more independent model? There was a guy in the office that was working um, and selling some annuities and selling blue chip stocks, and he had a base of clients that had moved down to Florida. I was in Florida at the time, and he had a base of clients that he was uh, working with that were retired and he was selling fixed annuities back then in 89 you could buy a fixed annuity that would pay you like a five and a half to six percent interest rate you mirror that next to an AT&T and Coca-Cola stock where the clients got a good company paying dividends and it was great for retirees he left and started his own firm and I left with him after about a year and a half when I found out what was kind of going on behind the scenes at the brokerage firm so not quite independent I mean he was independent I was his employee but we're allowed to do whatever in the best interest of the client but he was keeping an eye on what we were doing totally different than the brokerage firm all they cared about was opening new accounts getting money into the firm and then turning a dollar over as many times and as fast as possible because every time a dollar would turn over, you'd make 2 to sometimes 15% when you turn that dollar in between the buy and the sell and the spreads in between the bid and the ask spread. Now that you're completely independent, explain the difference now. As an independent advisor, what is your role really now compared to selling products as you used to do? Well, so the role now is totally different because we are on the same side of the desk or the same side of the table as the client. We really make our money by keeping that relationship for five to 10 years or more. And so we are using financial products and tools, whether they be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate investment trust, fixed annuities, indexed annuities, exchange traded funds, whatever they might be, we're using those tools to earn the client a reasonable rate of return with protection of principal so that they can take cash flow off of their investments in retirement and we're fully aligned with them and very transparent about the money we make and my firm doesn't make any money betting against the client where that original stock brokerage firm you know client could be buying a stock that the firm is actually shorting to them the client wants the stock to go up the firm will make more money if the stock goes down that just can't happen in the environment that we have right now so it's totally independent I have other advisors that work for me but I approve all of the products and strategies that are on our platform. So anything that's on our platform, I feel very good about. They sort of had that have that menu to choose from, so they're not quite completely independent um, in reference to them pulling out any investment they want to. But that menu is very, very large, and they have total discretion to act in the best interest of the client, as do I. It's a completely different playing field than it was when I worked for that big brokerage firm. You talk a lot about the things I learned in broker school where you realize now, looking back, that this was just 
what the company wanted you to say. It was like the talking points of the company. And now that you're independent, you realize, okay, well, this was ground in my head, but it's not actually the truth. What are some examples of some of those things you learned in broker well, school? Yeah, I mean, all the things that are they're just designed to keep the person's money in the market, the client's money in the market in a liquid position, because that's where brokerage firms make money, to have money exposed to market risk in liquid positions where they can buy and sell either against the client's own account, like a Merrill Lynch or UBS does all the time. They take the other side of a trade. The advisor is an employee. The customer is, quite frankly, a customer, not a client. And many times the firm's profits get made whether or not the client makes money. And when the market goes down and the client loses money, sometimes the firm can do just as well. So don't, you know, hang in there. The market always comes back. You haven't lost any money until you sell. Um, It's only a loss on your statement. You have to wait for those securities to go up again. There's some element of truth to some of that, but most of it is incorrect, and you can't afford to take that risk in retirement, as we all know. So just because the name of the company is more recognizable doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing for you, the client. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people have trouble getting past. You know, they recognize the, the Edward Jones name or the Merrill Lynch name, and it feels more comfortable. It feels safer because it's a big established company. Well, just be careful with that mindset. Well, the reality is it, it may be safer than working with an independent advisor if the independent advisor is looking out for himself. Because, you know, when you're with a Merrill Lynch or a UBS or ING or MetLife, those companies are trying to prevent the client from getting hurt so they don't sue the company. And so part of the things we don't like about what they do, the menu of products, the constant push for proprietary products and so on, the other side of that is you can't just be a cowboy and go out on your own and build a 27-stock portfolio that's full of dot-com stocks. Um, They wouldn't allow it to happen because they don't want the firm to get sued. So there's two sides to every coin, but clearly it's better off to be an independent advisor, control your own marketing, use compliance people as an outsourced part of your team so they keep you in business but be in control of your own destiny makes a lot of sense hopefully that perspective is helpful for folks trying to understand the difference between captive agent or captive broker and an independent advisor joel thanks for the perspective thank you john i appreciate uh, doing this i'd love to do it again sometime talk to you next time right here on mr stillman's opus 